It is really quiet up here. I'm standing on a balcony this morning. It's still early. Father Henry, Father Michel, and Father Harry are still asleep. Um, and there's a mountain range in front of me. And on my right, beyond the lower part of the mountains, I can see the town, the coastal town, and then beyond that, the sea. I'm in Spain, and the sun has just come up. And I'm going to take you for a walk, because you're listening to an episode of The Walk. I'm Father Roderick. And uh, this town is located not far from the city of Valencia, which some of you may know for its reputation when it comes to oranges. This is a, an area that is famous for its oranges, and I'm here on vacation for about 12 days. And I'm going down the stairs of this beautiful summer home. I have to be quiet because the windows of the sleeping rooms here are, sleeping rooms are up here on this side of the building. And this uh, house is um, originally, or is owned by a family, um, a Spanish family that Father Henry knows. Uh, one of, the, of their sons studied in the Netherlands and uh, stayed in uh, the rectory of Father Henry for a while, while he was studying in that neighborhood. Here's our car, this uh, the red Skoda car that, uh, that we used to uh, drive around. And so this house was actually the house of their grandmother, um, but she is at a very advanced age right now. So um, a few years ago, she told the rest of the family that she just couldn't walk up the stairs anymore because this house is full of stairs. It's on top of a, of a mountain. <clears throat> it's not the tallest mountain. We, we climbed the tallest one in the neighborhood yesterday. Uh, but still, even for us, <laughs> slightly younger people, it, is, uh, it, it requires quite a bit of energy to walk up the stairs and to get up this mountain. And so she since then abandoned the house and the family lives actually in a city uh, not far from the coastal city that I see here in the distance. Um, and they were using it as a summer house. And for a couple of years they've been offering this location to uh, Father Henry and knowing that he goes on vacation with the, with the, the other three priests. Um, was like, well, well, you can use this one. <laughs> it's free. We're, we're not living there in the summertime. And so this year we accepted their offer and wow, it's been really, really cool. <clears throat> it's not the only house in the neighborhood there. There's a villa here on my right, although I don't think that anyone lives there right now. There's a house here on my left. Um, but these are residential houses that have been built quite a while ago because right now this is actually a protected natural reserve. Um, and so I don't think that further building is, um, is allowed, but the houses that were already there can remain. And uh, it's, a, it's a fresh morning. It's, it's not that cold, it's not that warm. Um, it's around, I would say 18 degrees Celsius. So it's really nice weather for a walk. And I wanted to catch you up with what, was going on, what is going on in my life, even though it's on I'm on vacation. There are just things that I would like to share with you, and much has happened. And I feel that, uh, uh, well, I've, of course, I tell these stories to my uh, fellow priests as well. But since I was up early, I'm always up early nowadays, and I did have some time and the others are still sound asleep and it will be a while before we say mass. Um, why not record an episode of the walk? So I'm walking up this uh, small road that will actually go down in with these hairpin curves. This is uh, very small. There's a cat. Is that a cat? No, it looks like a cat. Small. A kitten. There are a lot of stray cats here. And actually, <laughs> there are even uh, wild boars. So yesterday, I was sitting on the balcony, yesterday evening, uh, Father Henry was, um, uh, had, had gone out with the family, uh, and uh, Father Michel and I 
we're on the balcony, and all, all of a sudden, we're Father Henry, Father Harry, and I were on the balcony, and I hear this, this like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> what is that? And he says, well, actually, they're wild boars, and then we heard the, the squeals of smaller of the. Uh, infant wild boars as well, and they were actually rummaging around here in the in the bushes underneath the house. Um, that, that was so weird. <laughs> I just didn't realize that those were the sounds of uh, of boars. Oh, there's a car coming up the the road here. People are very friendly. They're always greeting us. I've been running quite a bit over the past few days. Of course, I'm still training for my marathon. And uh, every time I encounter either bikers or lots of people that uh, ride their bikes here on the mountains, which must be excruciatingly difficult because, well, right, for, <laughs> right now I'm going down a hill. My knees are already uh, suffering because of the, the uh, in, incline here. So, but, but it's, it's uh, just great training roads here for if you're a professional uh, uh, biker. All the other people here in the neighborhood are so, so friendly. So uh, it's, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous place. But for running, wow, it's really hard <laughs> because it is, um, it's all hills and not just small ones, but big ones like this one. Here on the right, I, I think I can walk. This is what we walked yesterday. Let me go this way instead of following the road. Going down a small gravelly path in between the bushes and uh, the sun is coming up and it will get warmer but it won't get as hot as a few weeks ago here in Spain where temperatures rise above 100 degrees Fahrenheit and more than 40 degrees Celsius uh, but fortunately right now it's it's much cooler although still very nice compared to the Netherlands where from what I've heard it's raining <laughs> I'm not following that much what's happening in the Netherlands because I'm on vacation anyway. But um, it's always nice to know that you get a little bit of extra summertime at the end of summer. So here the road is going up again. This reminds me very much of the Camino. The same type of landscape, the same kind of mud pads that you're following. Um, and it's, it's really, really nice to relax. The air is super fresh. And, uh, but uh, again, as I said, for running, it's really tough because now I'm in the stage where I have to run big distances. So actually last week I should have run 20 miles on Sunday, but Sunday was also the day that I would, that I was leaving, uh, I was taking the plane to Valencia with Father Henry. And, uh, so I didn't run. And then the Saturday, uh, last week I came home from the summer camp um, and uh, to, uh, that day I didn't run either so I've been trying to catch up but what I actually should do today is to walk down the path that leads to the village and uh, the, the village is or the town is actually more than a village but it's, it's not a very pretty town it's all it's basically a summer town for for Spanish people that go there for vacation and they just sit at the sea so you've got a lot of these you know taller buildings here we're coming up to a uh, right I think if I continue this way I'll end up at the monastery I think there's a monastery here this actually this whole area is called the palm desert now there are no palm trees here <laughs> and it's not a desert at all. It's actually quite green, surprisingly green, considering how dry it has been here in Spain for the past few months. Um, but this used to be a place for Carmelite Hermites. Of course, the Carmelite order has always been very strong in Spain. Think of, you know, a great saint like St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, and many other uh, great saints of that order that are less known in the rest of the world. But these Carmelite monks would live here in small huts or small uh, stone buildings. There's actually one down the road that leads to the, to the town. 
Um, and it's kind of like a half domed, it's, it's like an egg. <laughs> and, and that's a chapel and then there would be a smaller building next to it where the, the monk would live in, in solitary confinement, basically. <laughs> and so this, uh, this entire hill side, uh, all these woods would be littered with these um, houses of, or, or settlements of these monks. There's a bit of wind. Hopefully it won't bother the recording that much. I forgot to take my um, windshield with me. I'm recording this on an iPhone in case you're wondering why it sounds differently. And, uh, but, but so the, this entire natural reserve is still call, called the, the, the Desierto de, de, de Palmas or something like that because it was like a spiritual desert where these monks would retire, would, would, uh, would pray fast and do penance. Um, so let me take you back not to the beginning of this vacation, because I've got some stuff to share about that, but let me take you back a one week uh, more in the past, because I'm, I've shared this with you, I think, in my shows before. I was going on this uh, summer camp that was organized by a group of volunteers. One of them is a, a good friend of mine. He used to be a priest of my diocese, but uh, recently he moved to Belgium to enter the order of the Augustan uh, friars. And uh, so he's an Augustinian monk, or I'm not sure if you call that a monk, <laughs> but he just started there. But he has been the scout for most of his life. And you know what, there is a nice mountain road that goes up there. Let me see what that is. There's a wooden sign here. It says, <clears throat> Rutas uh, 7, Font de Sant Josep. So the uh, source of Saint Joseph, if I follow this. I'm tempted to do this. It's going to be a bit of a climb, and it's not as comfortable as the concrete uh, road that goes around the corner there, but hey, it's early in the morning. Let's do some physical exercise. So um, he's been a scout for most of his life and has been organizing these youth camps for many, many years for my diocese. And he's got a group of friends um, that is very experienced in running these camps. And so um, I, many years ago, I think well, like 12 years ago, I went with him as, as well uh, to for the pastoral part of the camp. So it's, it's a very nice mix of um, challenges. It's a bit of a scouting atmosphere. Um, so it's not for, for spoiled children. <laughs> um, these camps are for teenagers, so that's the age between around 12 and 16. Um, then he also does camps that are more like hikes for um, the age of between 16, 25 or something like that. So he went, he just came back actually from a, from a tour through the uh, middle part of, of uh, Italy. And Father Henry went with that group because Father Henry loves Italy and is a good teacher when it comes to the religious history. Um, so this, this camp, this uh, uh, camp for teenagers, it's mostly um, a bit of survival. The, the theme this year was back to basic and it's literally back to basic. You, you live in tents. We built this big tent where we sit. It has no sides. So it's basically to shield us from the rain. Uh, and uh, that's where we eat. It's where we uh, gather for activities. And then uh, the, the teenagers have to build their own tents. So they're a big tent for the boys and uh, a few smaller tents for the girls. They have to manage that themselves. We don't interfere with that. It's just the only thing we, we ask them is to, to keep quiet during the night and to sleep. But these kids are great, actually, really. Uh, uh, very cooperative and, and, uh, and cheerful. <laughs> I was very surprised because that can differ from camp to camp. Sometimes you have more difficult kids. And, or you may have a smaller group of a few of them that 
um, are just messing it up for everyone. But this time, it just I was very, very impressed by the 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 energy and the cheerfulness and the cooperation of the, of these teenagers. And so, and we as a the leaders, we have two tents: one for the for the ladies or uh, two young women that help us. One is actually an opera singer in in real life, so he talks a lot about opera. <laughs> the other one is an accountant, and she's extremely um, experienced when it comes to the uh, to feeding the teenagers. And I was in the other tent with uh, uh, three other guys, so Father Gerben and uh, um, and one of the new leaders actually used to be a teenager. He used to he remembered. Uh, ten years ago, when I went on this that camp, and he was still a kid back then, but he's been so uh, enthusiastic about the whole thing. His brother is a seminarian now um, that he wanted to become a leader, and the other guy is works as a teacher in high school, so he too has a lot of experience with this age group, and a very very cheerful, funny guy, and uh, the whole. The whole group is extremely extroverted, <laughs> which I think you need for a camp that is as high energy as this. And I was asked to do the <clears throat> the uh, the masses and the catechesis, which is only a small part of the of the camp, but it's a very essential ingredient because it's on the basis of all these experiences that you try to connect with the the language of faith and to teach them let's say the core lessons of what it means to be faith uh, a believer to what who God is in in your life where you can be so I'm whew, I gotta catch my breath here a little bit because the incline is pretty steep um, there's some more signs here if I continue in the direction of the sun uh, it's Pla de Muletes no no idea what that is. The St. Joseph's source is here to the left, so I'll go to the left here. I'll have the sun in my back. I'm surrounded by kind of low foliage. This is very tough stuff, apparently. So it stays green even though it's been super dry. Smaller trees and there's a, a, a bit of a hill in front of me with lots of red stones. This area, um, from what I've been told, has burned down a number of years ago, fierce wood fires, of course, uh, even t today in, the, in this, d during this summer, uh, there, there was a lot of risk um, because everything was so dry. Fortunately, people have been extremely careful with fire. So no, no disasters so far. And, but you can still see the damage because this entire mountain range was basically burned down and in ashes. And so the nature that surrounds me right now is, is kind of the recovery. Uh, it's, it's all, the trees are still very small um, and there are still large patches where nothing grows and it's kind of this just orange, red dirt and stones. And it will take many more years for nature to fully recover. Um, so the catechesis also had to tap into this theme of uh, back to basic and I was racking my brain oh what am I going to share and how am I going to go about this because I hadn't been doing this teenage camp camp for years and I have to say it's a, it's a world that I'm not very familiar with I <laughs> it's been ages since I had that age and um, it's it's just <laughs> that's the downside of working in a parish in the Netherlands it's mostly old people you know, the overall age is, is above 70. Plus, my work is mainly in the media, and I, I connect with, let's say, the culture of a younger generation. But I think that most of my followers are, um, are, are not in the teenage range or much older than that. But also, you know, when, I, when I'm in church and I give catechesis or I preach in, in my parish, I know my, my people. I've been in that parish for many years. So I kind of know the, the world they live in, which was not the case for, for these teenagers. And so I, I did prepare a few things, um, but it was just a few concepts of basic ideas. And the only thing that I knew I wanted to do was to involve them in the conversation. So not to just teach and let them listen. 
um, because as a child that would I would find that extremely boring so I wanted to start a conversation and uh, I asked some advice to uh, a parishioner of mine who works also in uh, as a math teacher in um, in high school and he uh, he told me give them time to ask questions and you'll see if you give them the opportunity to ask questions about faith they'll have plenty and you won't have to prepare much which proved to be the case so we had um, uh, after after a day or so or a day or two I kind of very quickly uh, started to get the the type of teenagers that I had in front of me and uh, what their more or less from their conversations could deduce what their world was, their day-to-day -day -day world. And a lot of the concepts that have to do with faith, of course, are, are pretty universal and they, they, can, they have relevance for every age in life. So we talked about leaving stuff behind because, of course, the camp is very primitive. Uh, they weren't allowed to take their phones with them, for instance, which was <laughs> very difficult for many of them. They're all on Instagram, Snapchat, that's basically, or WhatsApp, which is also owned by Facebook. So there's a lot of chatter normally, digital chatter. Whereas now, and I asked them, you know, what's, not, 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 not just what did you leave behind and how do you feel about that? And of course, most of them were like, oh, I wish I had my phone. Um, but also asked them, well, what are the advantages? And a lot of them immediately said, well, it's strange that now that I don't have my phone, I, I talk much more with the, with the other teenagers and and of course these are not from the same parish they're from all over the diocese and so it was funny to see that they had much more attention for for uh, for the group and I, I I wouldn't be surprised that that connections formed much faster um, than you know when they have their digital equipment and entertainment surrounding them uh, so I asked them about leaving stuff behind and what is truly necessary in life. Well, ultimately, you always end up with the, the basics. What's the, what are the true basics? It's, it's friends, it's family, it's, you know, sharing food together, sharing time together, helping each other, that sort of stuff. That's ultimately much more important than your possessions. So that was kind of the minimalism <laughs> aspect of what I was going to say. And then... Uh, <clears throat> The next day, the, the second day, I had a pretty rough time because I under, underestimated um, what the, uh, the intensity of the camp would do to me. Um, of course, I, I just wanted to help. I wanted to be there. But uh, in, in my day-to-day -day life, I have plenty of time to, for my introvert side, <laughs> introverted side, and I need that time to recharge. And... Uh, in this camp, there was nothing. There was not a not a single place where you could just sit and uh, be alone for a while, or think, or 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 walk, or I don't know. It's just, whoops, there's a lot of wind here. Um, I should have brought that uh, windshield. I'll I'll do that in the next walk because I'll record another one here. I think. So the uh, the 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 second day, I felt that I was I felt drained. As it just. Uh, from they, they woke up really early in the morning, like seven o'clock, and then went to bed at one or two o'clock in the morning, way after the kids went to bed, because we always would do our evaluation and talk about what was going on in the group and uh, whether we should adjust or not. Um, and I, I just, I couldn't handle it. <laughs> like I need time for myself. The only place where I could sit was in the. Uh, uh, what is it, the bathroom part, it's basically a, a hut with uh, two showers, one for the girls and another one for the boys, and you had to take turns and wait outside, um, and there, was, there were two toilets, so it was super primitive, and then during the day, when these kids would be out running and playing games, I could just sit there on a bench, literally in the dark, because the light had a, a motion sensor, so it wouldn't always switch on, and I could just sit there and, and think, I even think about, okay, what, what am I going to tell them in the next catechesis? But fortunately, that passed rather, rather quickly. I, I shared that with the theme, with the, with the, theme, with the team, because <laughs> the others are all extroverted personalities. So I had to explain to them that, 
you know, don't worry about this, but I just need some time alone every day. Uh, it's just how I work. And I was happy, of course, that they understood. Um, but I'm still in awe to see the, the just endless energy of the other uh, camp leaders. How much they dedicate themselves to, to these kids and giving them the best youth camp possible. Um, so the next day we went on this hike. And the temperatures back then were really, really high. Um, I think they, um, they hiked for two days. Um, we did transport their luggage ourselves because we didn't think it was uh, wise to let them walk with their backpacks, which normally we do. Um, so they walked 15 kilometers on day one, 15 kilometers on day two. And, um, and that was, of course, that's a, for them, for, it's, it's a big experience. And a lot of these kids normally don't walk those distances. And even though many of them do sports and are pretty fit, but still, we had plenty of blisters and all sorts of pains and stuff. And I um, uh, was going with the uh, the accountant uh, woman who was also helping the for, for the food, etc. We were uh, buying provisions, and then we would be at we would stand at several places on the on the itinerary to welcome them and to help them with their blisters and feed them watermelon and give them fresh water. And so every time they were super excited to see us, we were like the oasis or the, there was this uh, a Bible text of, of a few weeks ago in, in, in mass on Sunday mass of this uh, uh, traveler um, who is on a, well, God gives him a mission to go to Horeb, the mountain of God, and then he actually can't, he, he, he doesn't have enough energy, he's, he's too tired, he's, um, and so he sits down and then an angel is there and bakes him uh, bread or, or, uh, or, or a cookie or something like that on a hot stone and gives him something to drink, strengthens him so he can, he can continue his, his, uh, his trip. To the mountain, and then that happened several times, and so I use that story later on with the teenagers to talk about God's providence and that He will always take care of you, and that when you are in in great need and you call upon Him, uh, you can trust that He will be at your side and He will feed you and help you, and. Uh, and that that is not just something that God does, but he wants us to do that for each other as well. All right, I think I've arrived at the, uh, at the source of St. Joseph. I'm on a, a small outcrop, and it's, the, the, the view is gorgeous, especially now that the, the morning sun is still very low over the mountains. So it's still this, this nice yellow morning light that hits the side of the trees here. On my left, there's a path that goes down to the monastery, I think. Um, there's one smaller mountain in front of me and, and the remains of what looks like a building or it could also be a bunch of rocks, I don't know. And then behind that, I can see the entire bay with all the, you know, the summer buildings, the, the, the tall apartments, and then beyond that, this, the beach, the sea, and then there's some large uh, ships in the distance. I don't know if they're um, cargo ships or uh, if these are fishermen, because it's, this is a really, uh, uh, it's a fishy place. Now, there, you, you can eat fish here uh, as much as you like, and it doesn't cost much, uh, because there's a, there's, this is beautiful. This is on the east side of, the, of Spain, so you've got the inner sea, which is kind of uh, disorienting, because normally in the Netherlands, the sea is on, in the west. So, <laughs> right now, it's like there's something not right with the light on the sea, and it's because I'm, I'm looking to the east. I'm actually looking in the direction of, uh, of Italy right now. And here, on this hill, is what looks like a small chapel. And uh, there's a, a, a red wooden door, and then before that is a, a metal fence. I think it's closed, unfortunately. There is a, uh, there's an image. Um, these are actually tiles with uh, painted tiles. And it shows a procession of uh, a statue of the Virgin Mary 
on the Sede Sapiencia, so the seat of wisdom, and on her lap is Jesus carrying this orb, and Mary herself is also carrying this orb, this golden orb, and the uh, procession is clearly taking place in these mountains, because you can see some white buildings on top of the mountains there, and uh, there are uh, lots of uh, women and men playing music with trumpets and tubas and whatnot, and singing. So this must be a depiction of one of the processions that took place in this area in the past. Let me walk around this chapel and see if there is a, a window or something. Uh, there are windows, but they're closed as well on the inside, so I can't see. Here is a tree, by the way, that is blackened. It's just a stump of a tree, and it looks like it's either been burnt down or it's been hit by lightning which could have happened recently because we've had some severe thunderstorms, which was also happening during the summer camp uh, when we were uh, at our, the, the place where we would stay for the night during that hike, or where, they, where the teenagers would stay for the night because I had to go back to the base camp uh, because we, uh, we had to uh, prepare the food for the next day. Um, that night, that area was struck with a massive thunderstorm. Normally the, we build a camp literally in the woods uh, using uh, just very basic material and they sleep out in the open. And because the previous days had been, had been so hot, the original plan was to let them just sleep in, out in the open, just under the stars. Um, and we were, I forgot to tell you, we were in a, a beautiful area in, the, in, um, in Germany, the Eiffel, which is near a river. Um, you've got a lot of uh, uh, hills and, and woods, and it's, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous area. Very much in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nature. But because of the weather forecast, we, uh, we decided to rent a small house that was also on the premises, uh, that had one room, basically. <laughs> and and we, just out of security reasons, we, uh, we told the teenagers to... to sleep in there there were two two levels so the boys would sleep upstairs and then the girls would sleep uh, downstairs and and that was proved to be a super wise decision because it it had been a massive downpour and lots of thunderstorms and lightning very very frightening mama mia so <laughs> the next morning uh we we drove there with the car and all these kids were completely rattled and tired and didn't sleep much because of the weather. And then they still had to go on this, on the next part of their walk, another 15 kilometers. And so over time during the camp, uh, I always, what happens is basically you, you grow a common language. So even though at the beginning I, I was wondering, well, how do I speak to the, to the, how do I speak the language of these teenagers? It actually, a new language started to form because of these common experiences. So for instance, we did another day, we did a laser tag. Um, in the past we did actually bow and arrow, <laughs> so, but that was very expensive and, and a bit tricky. Uh, there was a forest near us where we could play, but for bow and arrows, we would just basically lose a lot of the equipment and would never be able to recover it. So we decided not to do that and instead go for laser tag. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to walk back this path back to the uh, to our vacation home because I think it's it's almost nine o'clock. I normally around this time they wake up and then they want to celebrate mass on the balcony, which by the way is awesome. <laughs> for for two weeks now I've been celebrating mass under the stars, or not under the stars, but in out out in the open instead of in a church, which is really cool, and especially with the backdrop of this mountain range and the sea beyond it. Here on the, on the right, by the way, there's a... <laughs> uh, this goes steeply downhill, um, but there are the remains of the old Carmelite monastery, and it looks like it's from the Middle Ages or something, but actually uh, this this whole thing collapsed because of a massive uh, rain, rain flood or mud floods or something like that in the, what was it, 18th century? So it's actually quite recent, well, for European standards. And then beyond that on the hill, 
on top of that, they built an entirely new monastery, which I think is close to the public, at least where the where they live, the Carmelites live. And then if you go even more uphill, they they have a small chapel. And I think that one is open, and we will go there for mass on Sunday. And then we're going to have uh, we're going to spend the day with the family that uh, has offered us their vacation home so graciously, and they'll receive us in, in the, the city where they live. And uh, the mother of the family has already told us that she will make us the best paella that we've ever tasted. <laughs> the real paella. Oh, here's another chapel here on my left. It's a small, tiny building. Oops, I gotta go through the plants here. And this one has pretty ancient frescoes. It shows trees and plants. There's something on the right. This looks much, much more ancient. And there is a um, small painting, also on the tile, I think, of a, what looks like a monk. This could be one of, actually, one of those uh, Hermite monks that would live here. Um, although he's, he's dressed quite fancily for, for a monk that lives in the, in the wilderness. <laughs> Perhaps this, these were his Sunday clothes, I don't know. All right. So, um, uh, what was I saying? <laughs> yeah, so I had to go back for mass. But over time, with the laser tag, and then we did another, oh, that was awesome too, the last day before we uh, went home again, we went to a forest where, they, where you can climb the trees. And they created all these constructions in in the forest where you climb up and you're and there's these big pine trees that are super tall and you can they have these platforms so it kind of looks like an Ewok village uh, when you're standing underneath and then these trees are interconnected with uh, steel cables and uh, all sorts of uh, variations thereof and you have to climb of course you're secured with uh, a harness and uh, two hooks um, that click on you click onto those steel cables, and you can only release one of those hooks if the other one is secured and is in place. So it's it's a, a pretty safe, but still very scary um, when you have to climb from one tree to another. I, I took plenty of video footage, and I'm currently editing these last few days. And if you follow me on Facebook, you may have seen some of those videos already. Oh, I'm, I'm here, at, actually this is the, the, the main road. Hmm, some bikes passing by. And there's a fence, interesting. So I'll just follow the road back to the home. If this is actually the road that will lead me home, I don't know. I have to be careful here because the, there are lots and lots of turns in these roads and I always have to uh, walk on the side where the cars that are approaching you have maximum visibility. So you never take the, the small corner, if you see what I mean, because then you'll just all of a sudden be there for a car and it will be too late to evade you. This is a technique that I learned during the Camino where sometimes you had to walk on highways as well. Um, so the, the whole climbing thing, I used all that in my homilies and in my catechesis when, for instance, I would speak to them about, um, uh, about faith and trust. And I, I told them, because oh, I, I forgot to tell you that uh, the evening, whoa, sorry about the wind. It's not too bad. Well, actually, it is quite bad. I'll stand with my back to the wind here. I'll finish the recording because <laughs> I I don't think uh, the wind is going. Or I could walk back and take the nah nah. It's just the wind that is, I'm I'm now like I turned a corner and all of a sudden the wind was blowing in my face. That's what you get to be when you're so high up in the mountains. Um, <clears throat> uh, the the night the of the first day of the hike. I gave them uh, the opportunity to ask their questions, and I was so touched by their honesty. And uh, these are all teenagers, so they struggle with the fact that they are often the only ones that still go to church. 
And uh, there was this guy, there was this boy who said, uh, you know, I used to go to church every Sunday and pray for, to be successful as a soccer player. And every time I went to church, I would be successful the day after. <laughs> and then most of his friends were not Catholic. And he had a friend who was Muslim and another one was, um, uh, what is it, Hindu. And he's like, how do I know that my God is, the God that I grew up with is the real God? And perhaps, perhaps my friends are right and perhaps I'm wrong. And, and I stopped going to church because honestly, I, I, I had so many other things to do with my friends on Sunday morning, etc. And he was just, but at the same time, he was ex expressing uh, his sorrow that he, he was missing it because he'd been a, a, an altar boy for, for many years. And uh, so... What do you answer then? I told him, you know what? It's you may sometimes feel in your life that you're very far away from God and that He's very far in the distance, but God is always close to you. So your distance to God may be a thousand miles, but the distance between God and you is always zero. He's always there, and even if you have trouble believing in Him, He will continue to believe in you and trust in you. And whenever you need Him. He'll be there, right at your side. Don't worry about that. And uh, and I explained them too that you know just as I'd been encountering them on their hike, and so every what is it six seven kilometers we'd be standing there to to help them. That too is just like your your walk in faith. There may be times where you walk on your own strength, and then you you get tired and you realize I can't make it on my own. And he will be there at the side of the road. And every once in a while, he'll just pop up in your life and he'll help you, <laughs> even though you may have forgotten about him. Uh, that's just how God is. He doesn't, he doesn't hold grudges. He, he, he has incredible patience with you. And he'll help you. And if you, uh, if you doubt, if you have trouble sometimes believing that he's there, Feel free to tell him that, and it's okay to to doubt. It's okay. Ooh, the wind. <laughs> it's 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 totally okay to not be this perfect um, altar boy <laughs> that that you thought you'd always be, um, as long as you try to stay in touch with God, and. And, um, and then later, the last catechesis, I told them about that experience of climbing the trees and then the, these two hooks. I told them that that's basically what faith is. It's holding on to... God is like the steel cable between the trees that is super solid. And it can never break. And we can make mistakes. We can sometimes... Um, I'm trying to. Oh, what, did I, what did I say? I'm trying to remember what I what I told them. I was like, as long as you. Oh, I was, it was about this jumping because there were moments where you had to slide down those uh, those um, steel cables, and the hooks actually had little wheels in them as well. So you you just have to jump off this tree, and trust that these two hooks and the steel cable would carry you. Sometimes to completely to the other side of the of the forest, and I had great trouble letting go and jumping off those platforms. Um, and I said that that's that happens in life as well. You're sometimes you feel like you're on a cliff and you have to jump, and and you have to make big decisions. And especially, of course, a lot of these teenagers told uh, told us about their you know what am I what what am I going to choose as a career and. Um, expectations of their parents and so they they are facing difficult choices and I told them so whenever you feel like you're on the ledge and you're, you're and it's the the, 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 the there is no uh, um, no ground under your foot under your feet anymore you have to jump that steel cable that is who God is in your life and you have these two hooks and you click them onto that steel cable and you will be secure, you will get to the other side and you can let go. And when it comes to back to basic, it's basically learning in life that you can let go of way more than you thought you could. Whether it's stuff, whether it is um, 
the expectations of others or even your own expectations of who you think you should be or who you wanted to be. As long as you hold on to God, as long as you hold on to the, the, the basic things that truly matter, like your family, like friendship and care for each other, as long as you do that, you will get to the other side. And, uh, and I, I realized when we were driving back to uh, the Netherlands that that is why we need this generation in church. Um, and because they help us to re-explain the faith in simple terms. In, and they force us to translate faith into, uh, in, into a, a, a lifestyle that really makes a difference. Because otherwise they'll stay away. And they will tell you very honestly very simply and, and even cheerfully that yeah, when it's boring and when it doesn't have any relevance to their lives, why would they, why would they care? <laughs> why, would, why would it matter to them? Um, whereas I think during the camp I saw many great examples of, of kids evangelizing other kids. During the catechesis, if you open up the space and you let them tell their own stories and experiences, some of these kids were giving wonderful witness to their faith and how what they had seen also uh, the the goodness of people the charity the help um was this girl who told a story of this old lady who lived near the church and and they were on vacation and um uh, and, and all of a sudden there's this downpour and they have to they're standing underneath this tree and uh waiting for the for the rain to stop and there's this very old lady that approaches them she's all like walking uh, barely walking and she invites them to come over to her house and so they first think well she needs help so they follow her and then she actually wanted she doesn't speak their language and she invites them well come over you can stay here until the rain has stopped and she brings in the little food that she has. There's nothing in the fridge. With the very last bit that she has, she feeds these visitors with the, the remainder of her food. And that girl was like, wow, that's, that is love. That is taking care of each other. And that's, I've, I've, that taught me who I should be as well. And stories like that, very simple stories. And these were stories that they came up, them, uh, came up with themselves after I asked them or challenged them, you know, what does faith truly mean? What does it mean to, to believe in a God that loves you unconditionally, that wants to help you always? What does that do to you? And, and what does that tell you about who you can be and what you can be for another? And I've seen so many of these kids helping each other as well and supporting each other. I was very touched and, and impressed. And when, when I hear some, some of my fellow priests and also sometimes bishops and they complain about the youth and there's oh they're so individualistic and uh, they don't come to church because they don't care anymore they don't have values and morals <sighs> I get mad I was like well did you ever listen to this younger generation do you really see what how how many good kids there are and what they do and how can you speak about an entire generation generalizing like that and if these kids don't go to church. Instead of blaming them, blame yourself, because you've probably been doing something wrong. And after uh, the, 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 the incredible, horrible news of the, that came out of that Pennsylvania uh, uh, grand jury report, which again is, shows how corrupt parts of the church have become and some, how how uh, satanic sometimes the evil in the church can be. You know, I, I would say, before you blame this younger generation, blame yourself and your lack of faith and your lack of charity and your lack of care and your lack of courage to defend the victims of, of that horrible abuse and, and to stand up for what's right and to... Uh, anyway, the, the, this youth camp for me was a shot in the arm. It gave me a renewed confidence. I've always been very optimistic and positive about the younger generation. 
but to me it it it's really sealed the 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 deal in that I truly believe that even though this new generation of Catholics may be much smaller than the generation that generations that preceded it, these kids have a good heart, and they deserve to be fed with faith and and with dedication. And so, even though this that that entire week was uh, <laughs> incredibly demanding, um, and and and. Uh, and challenging for for us as leaders and, and for me as a priest at the same time I'd gladly do it again because I believe that this is how you build a bridge to that next generation and if if you are wondering how do we transmit the faith to to teenagers and how do we speak their language well the first thing, what I've learned is the first thing you need to do is to build this common language, have common experiences, step into their world, listen to them, listen to their questions, and guide them because they ask for guidance. That was one of the most beautiful things that I experienced during that week is that you can actually give them guidance. I, the things I shared with them in catechesis, I know they will remember that because it's really about the things that matter to them. And they ask for this guidance because they're kind of lost. They don't know how to trust or how to who to believe. And if you guide them towards the truth, if you tell them, for instance, one of the catechesis that I gave them was about conscience. So they were asking me, well, how do we know what to do in life? And I told them, well, I can't give you specific advice for every single situation in your life. But what I can tell you is that you have a compass. And I was, again, referring to their experience during the hike because they had to use a, a regular analog compass and a map to find their way to, the, to, the, uh, to, to their destination. And I said, God has given you a compass. It's called your conscience. And it's, it works like a magnet, uh, you know, a real compass. We'd given them some explanations of how a compass works. And, uh, you know, you can create your own compass if you take a needle, a metal needle, and you take a strong magnet and you brush that magnet over the needle in the same direction. That's how I was taught to make a compass when I was a scout. And you put it on a, uh, a cork in the water and it will start to point to the north as long as it's magnetized. And I said, your inner compass, your conscience, always points you in the right direction. But you can strengthen it. You can make it more accurate and more reliable if you keep it near this strong magnet. And I asked him, what is the strongest magnetic force in the universe? And of course the answer was love. It's the, the strongest magnet. Well, who is the source of that love? Who is the strongest magnet ever? It's God. So if you make sure that the needle of your inner compass, of your conscience, is, is touching God, and you, you do that when you go to church, you do that when you pray, your needle, your compass will be much more accurate and will point you in any circumstance. Just like wherever you are on the planet, a compass, a regular compass, is pointing to, to the north. The same is true with your conscience in any situation in your life. If your conscience has been formed by the truth, if it has been magnetized by God's love, it will tell you what the direction is you need to take. You don't even need me as a priest. You don't need to read up in books on what to do. You will know because God gave you that inner compass. So it was just a something, and it just came to me during that hike. It was like, that's how, you, how I can help them uh, discover this inner compass and to, to also teach them to form their conscience and why, why it matters to pray, why it matters to go to church. It's not to fulfill an obligation or to please the whatever your parents or something like that. But it is because God helps you to find your direction in life. Now that is something they understand. So it was a wonderful week. It was really, really uh, uh, encouraging and motivating. And it's, it's just so great to celebrate Mass. And to feel, I really felt like a, a, a shepherd. For, for, for this, and I know it's a small group and it's only one week a year, but for me it was also a, a rediscovery of that I can be a shepherd for 
any generation, not just for older people. Um, and it's, it's all about having a common language and, and sharing these experiences. That is why I've been so horrified and shocked uh, and, and discouraged by this, this report from Pennsylvania, like, like all of you, of course, all of us. And he was like, what, what has gone wrong with so many priests, and so many shepherds that were supposed to be shepherds and instead turned, turned out to be wolves? And, and predators, in, in not just in sheep's clothes, but in shepherd's clothes, which is the worst of the worst. I just, I, I can't grasp it. It's like, what is going on with these people? How can people be so evil? Either by committing these crimes or by covering them up systematically for decades. Like, what is wrong with you guys? And it's, at the same time, um, this experience of this summer camp and seeing what God is doing, even though in his church there's so many people that I think are basically acting as, as evil spirits. Um, it's, it's this pure evil um, that God doesn't let himself uh, be stopped by that. And I, I believe that these kids are the bearers of of this new light and this never-ending vitality of faith. As long as they keep that personal connection with God and they keep praying and they find reliable shepherds that will guide them and at the same time will always respect them and help them and support them, and I think will rebound and uh, even though I, I really believe that we will go through a very, very difficult time because if this happened in, in Pennsylvania, let's be honest, these, these are structural problems in the church, then there is so much more that has not been uncovered yet and that will be uncovered. I truly believe it when Jesus says you know, everything that was hidden will be revealed everything that what happened in the darkness will will be brought to the light it's going to happen and it's going to be hell <laughs> literally not hell because of what other people do the church is hell because of people having jumped into hell basically right here on earth by their behavior by their crimes and um and so it will be a, a time of of penance and it may last for uh, for many decades I don't know but at the same time I do see that God is also already growing this new generation and it's giving me hope and that gives you the strength to also endure the um, the suffering the well not to endure it but to accept well and also not to accept I struggle to find the words to acknowledge that these things have happened, these crimes that uh, a number of priests and bishops have been have been unfaithful uh, to the point of almost being possessed by by evil, a pure evil, um, and to do whatever you can, just like we we try to work that entire week without thinking about ourselves. I was trying to put every single bit of energy that we had into the, to helping these teenagers discover what truly matters in their lives. That is how we should be as a church. That, we sh that is how we should be towards the, the, the children, towards teenagers, towards vulnerable adults, towards anyone. We are here to serve. We are here to help heal, to do penance, even when you don't have guilt yourself, you're still part of this system. There is also this shared guilt and this shared responsibility. And we, we have to, it's like, uh, like your responsibility in, in, in society. When you live in a country where that, you know, uh, mistreats people and, and, and commits crimes and, and allows injustice, 
as a citizen, you have the obligation to, to right those wrongs and to, do, to take your political uh, responsibility and to vote and to make sure that, the, that it doesn't happen again. And that you, you build a better country and the same is true for the church. We have this common responsibility and we can't hide and we can't tell, well, that's not, it's none of my business or it will go away. No, it, it won't go away for the, these victims are marked for life and it will, will never go away. And we have this responsibility to make their suffering ours and to do whatever we can to guide them, to help them uh, and to make sure that, that that evil is somehow counterbalanced with good. Although I, I believe that a lot of the damage, there's, there's nothing here on earth that we can do to repair that or to heal that. But that's where we have to we have to bring it to God and ask Him if He can do what we can't do anymore. Um, so yeah, time really conflicting times. <laughs> and uh, as a priest, I've, this has been going through my mind every single day of my vacation. Um, and that's probably why I'm sharing it with you. Um, but I, I think that ultimately what will prevail is hope, what will prevail is truth, what will prevail is love. And as long as we are the bearers of that, we're doing something good in this world. And I think that's what we should do. All right. It's time for me to uh, head back home, pray, celebrate Mass. And, of course, while, when we do that, when we celebrate Mass, we always pray for, for the people that need that, that, that are, are longing for that love and that forgiveness and healing and, and everything else. I'll be praying for you. Thanks for listening. And I'll be soon back with more episodes from Spain. Take care and God bless.